Hey, it's the deep end on Wednesday. I'm so glad that you're here. We're with our live audience. And today is the Wednesday after the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Ah. Oh, sorry, wrong one. This is the deep end. Okay, we have a tremendously obedient studio ideas over there. I don't know. They Very are good. Yep. fantastic. Well. Yeah, trained Just well. Going right with what's on the cards. <laughs> they can read. No matter what. Okay, well, welcome to the deep end also. Uh, Chris McEwen, back again. Hello, Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. And then we have our executive pastor, all decked out in his Patriots garb, Shane Parsons. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you guys here. Studio audience, welcome to you guys. We're glad you're here. This is The Deep End, every Wednesday, 12 noon, live on Facebook, live on YouTube, or listening to it on SoundCloud after we've done it, or watching somewhere after we've done it, wherever you are. However you're getting this, we're glad that you're here. So let's jump right into the news. It is a big week here up in New England for the rest of the country, all the people who hate the New England Patriots. We like the New England Patriots around here. Yes, we do. We do. Yeah, we do. And they won their sixth Super Bowl title. They are officially the greatest NFL franchise in history. How it's about true. that? It's true. I, I mean, actually heard that they changed officially the name from Beantown yeah. to Titletown. It's, yeah. official now. it's official. It's official. It's official. It. It's official. You can't get much better than, uh, what is it, six and uh, how many appearances in the Super Bowl? Nine. 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 And that's just No, the that's just in, in the Belichick area. True. Era. They had two it's without a, him. Two without him. So 11. 11. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Plus, the best. I mean, we had the Red Sox this year too. Just what a week ago, mm-hmm. a couple months ago, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. I know. So amazing. Celtics are next, and then the Bruins. I, I know. Actually, I have that in the news item over here. I have this, but we've got to talk about something else first. We'll get back to mm-hmm. Title Town here because okay. that's that's an official thing, I think. But we have to talk about something that's actually not fun to talk about. I don't know if you guys are hearing what's going on down in Virginia. But some weird stuff is happening down in Virginia in the legislature or the governor's office. Yeah. And that is that this uh, this governor has got a uh, serious problem on his hands. Uh, governor, what's his name? Uh, what is his name? Northrum? Northrum. I forget what his name is. Yeah, I, I can't read it from here. <laughs> look, I can't. look it up real quick if you can, Chris. We'll find out. But this governor is under hot pressure, much pressure, to resign because of his... Yearbook photo uh, wearing blackface or a KKK costume. He might be one of those people. I heard that he was trying to hire uh, facial recognition experts to prove that wow. it wasn't him in blackface. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's true. If he, if he did it, um, I know what blackface is. But I uh, heard that this guy is in serious hot water. The whole state wants him to resign and he's holding on for dear life. Yeah. Ralph Northam. No, Northam. Northam. Okay. Ralph Northam. There we go. Governor of Virginia. And and so this actually happens on the heels of something that I actually, uh, I think we should really be more concerned about as a nation. And that is the comments that he made concerning uh, abortion. And this was actually kind of striking. It's actually, he's on video being recorded in a studio, much yeah. like this, talking about how if a baby is born and there's a question as to the viability of the baby, that the mother and the doctor will sit there, keep the baby comfortable while they decide whether to make this, help this baby survive or kill it. My gosh. I mean, this is, this is where the pro-choice argument leads to. This is the inevitable conclusion when you don't value life and you don't right. see it as uh, sacred. Um, and, you know, you, you, you've fallen for this, this theme of the pro-choice movement that is a woman's body and it's her choice, but it's actually another person's body. And ironically, 50% of the time at least, it's another woman's body that we're making a choice about in that, in that regard. Right. Uh, so this guy gets under hot water with, of course, uh, political conservatives and I think uh, conservative Christians to say, you know, how, how can you make that statement and get away with it in our country? Well, then a couple of days after that, pretty much after that statement, silence in the news media. Yep. Like nobody says no. nothing because it's just a baby. But then a yearbook photo from decades ago comes out and he might be wearing blackface or he might be in a KKK costume uh, and bad stuff, seriously bad stuff to be involved in that. Um, 
But that's what the outrage is about. Right. That's why they want him to resign. And it's like, this is where you see that America has lost its bearings in some respects and our country needs a spiritual awakening because I, I don't want people making fun or light of any race or nationality, uh, I think blackface is disgusting. I think the KKK, all they stand for is disgusting. But then to not hear anything about the, 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 the abortion comments and yeah. nothing like, no. like unless Christians start speaking up, you know, this country will not hear the truth. And so that's why we're talking about it here. I don't know. Thoughts you guys over there. I, it's just sad how normalized it's become, you know, and that's what it is. I think it's talked about on sitcoms and Hollywood and, and things so much that it's normalized that I think the opinion that we have as Christians is, is the, um, you know, the, the sharper one. Yeah. The, the truer one. You know, think about this, too. Like science is always finding out things that confirm what the Bible says. Yeah. I love watching science catch up to the Bible. Because <laughs> science is like this thing. Oh, it's science. It's science. And science discovers this. Oh, wait a second. God said that, you know, 2,500 years ago. <laughs> so it's fun to watch this as a Christian. Heart, heartbreaking to watch it, too, sometimes when we ignore. But science is doing this. Science is proving that these yeah. um, uh, children in the womb are viable human beings. They are not clumps of, uh, what was the old argument? Clumps of... Um, uh, mass, mass. Yeah. Oh, clumps of tissue and all kinds of things like that. But, but today we we see that once again our faith and the scriptures. Uh, Jeremiah one five. Uh, I formed you in the womb. Uh, Psalm one thirty nine. I I knit you together in your mother's womb. Uh, these passages about our even our salvation that before the foundations of the earth were formed, God saw us, God chose us, God knew us. That there there's a foreknowledge to the birth process and the conception process. And one of the things that Christians bring uh, to a society is a ver- a high regard and value for human life. And we need to not be ashamed about this. I think that that's one of the problems. Christians are getting closeted yeah. in our country, yeah. closeted about things that matter. And you know what? Someday, I know it. I just know someday that there, whether it be this country uh, fades into oblivion because it refuses to listen to God, or uh, this country gets in a spiritual awakening and comes back to God, and much like the first great awakening in this country led to the uh, establishment of this country as separate from uh, the British Empire and a godly founded country in many respects, uh, and the second great awakening led to the abolition, many, many credit, the abolition of slavery to the second great awakening in the 1800s uh, because of spiritual renewal these social justice ideals came to our country and it's like this is what i'm hoping for today we need a spiritual awakening so that our country wakes up to the sanctity of human life yeah you know i just i just think that's what we need one more time god give us a spiritual awakening because i think that 50 years 70 years 100 years from now uh, our ancestors our, our descendants i'm sorry will be looking back on us and saying how could they how could they be so quiet it reminds me of the um, the Christians. I'm saying, be right. so quiet about this. It reminds me of the stories that I hear about the Christians, the Christian churches in Germany that were along the trains, the oh, train yeah. tracks. Did you ever hear about this? And they'd be worshiping on Sunday, yeah, during yeah. the Holocaust, worshiping on Sunday, and they would be listening to the train cars coming by their church in the back. And they would be hearing the cries for help from the Jews who were being carted off to their death. Yeah. And the pastors of those churches not only said nothing, but also uh, demanded that the choir sing louder and wow. the organist play oh harder so yeah. that they would not hear the cries. And it's like, that is outrageous. Yeah. I don't want to be the church that turns up the music so we don't have to talk about abortion. We got to talk about it. We got to stand yeah. up and say something. And I think more than ever before, we need to be more vocal about this because yeah. it's, it's not just scientific proof. Well, yeah. It's Christian. It's secular. It's secular. I mean, it's, uh, scriptural proof. And it's life. There's a 4D video going out on Facebook now. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's the, it's the baby in the mother's womb. And it's so detailed, like it's it's like animated, and I don't know how anybody could see something like that and not think and that, not that question baby is life. human life. It's yeah. incredible. And even if the argument is about that one that uh, you know the governor was talking about on the radio show, he's he tried to backtrack and say, well, I was talking about a, a non-viable uh, baby, like the baby's going to die. So what? Yeah. When we who see somebody in the hospital, yeah, we say, oh, non-viable now, non-viable. Yeah. yeah. Who are you to say that? I mean, you know, it's like when when do you not fight for life? Period. Right. Uh, even if you take out the, the whole womb argument. Okay, say pass the womb, fight for life. I don't care if the baby's got seconds to live. Fight for it. Mm-hmm. It's a human life, for heaven's sakes. What are we talking about? Yeah. But 
Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up on the podcast because you probably won't hear this. You won't hear this anywhere else. And that's why you come into the that's why you need to tune into the podcast, listen to what we have to say, because we will talk about cultural issues and things that are in some ways uncomfortable to talk about, but they need to be talked about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. So back to some positive news. Again, it is championship week over here in New England. And Chris, you already mentioned this. I'm sorry. Uh, yep. Beantown is now title town. It's true. It's uh, uh, there's the great Tom Brady with number six in his hands. Yeah. And I think that he's he's not done. I think that, you know, man's number is six, but God's number is Seven's a completion. Seven. I just, I don't know. That, His career Does that sound about seven. right, audience? I mean, yeah, does that not. sound about right? Yep. There we go. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and so the long wait, like you said, Chris, is over. The long wait of a championship. Ooh, I mean, it's been a while. Yeah. It had been, been, I don't know if you guys knew this, it had been 2,352 hours. Wow. I was sweating. Since the last championship <laughs> yeah. in Boston. Yeah, it was hurting. It was a long time. I, I mean, if we had crossed over that 2,400 hour mark, I don't know what I was going to do. No, I would pull my hair out. That yeah. would have been tough. 98 days, 14 <laughs> weeks. These are the things that I figure out in my office, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do with my life. Okay, let's get to... Ask anything, because I said to you uh, on our Instagram video that we would ask, um, take some time to answer some questions, but I only got a few questions, and then I really started to dig into Revelation 7, which is where we're going to go to in a moment uh, on the deep end. Oh, actually, before we get to ask anything, yeah. we have gifts for our studio oh, audience. Oh, we do. We do. That's right. We I'm do. sorry, Did studio audience. I almost forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, we were going to get you all uh, deep end tumblers, but we're cheap, and so... <laughs> We decided to go with cupcakes. Ooh, but yeah. Cupcakes. But not just any cupcakes. Shane Parsons is going to deliver championship ring. Yep. Don't Patriots championship ring cupcakes. These are the things that you can get on the deep end if you join us for our live studio <laughs> Sign audience. Sign up today. Sign up today. Uh, what, what's the email again, Michael, over there? Production studio? Ask at thedeepend.tv. Yeah. So join the audience, get a cupcake. <laughs> so maybe soon we will be handing out uh, Celtics championship cupcakes. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> or rings. Or, or Bruins or, cupcakes. Or, or, or maybe you get a coffee mug. Yeah, maybe no ramen dog coffee mugs, one of these things. So there we go, championship cupcakes. Just remember, studio audience, a moment on the lips, an eternity on the hips. But sometimes it's worth it. Amen. <laughs> sometimes it's worth it. There you go. Let's get a shot. Can we get one I of those? No, they're uh, really eating them. I, I, those were just props, guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, they were. They're real cupcakes. They're good oh. and tasty cupcakes. And I made them. Um, homemade by the good people at Shaw's <laughs> uh, Supermarket. No, it is a good bakery there. Though. It's a good bakery. It is. Lots of cool stuff over there. I got a void over there uh, going over there because they're so good. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I see uh, Shane snagged one for himself. Yeah. Yes? What, what, oh, just wipe, your mouth. Wipe, wipe your mouth. Shane. Okay. <laughs> okay. So back to ask anything. And that is something that we encourage you to do here on the deep end because we want you to ask your questions and we want your answer, uh, questions answered. We want to talk about what you're talking about. I got this question coming in from someone on our text number. And by the way, you can text anytime, 508-316-9333. Ask anything anonymously. Hey, Pastor Tim, do you recommend any translations? Are there any versions we should stay away from? I keep hearing mixed reviews on this subject. Okay, good question. Yeah. Uh, here's what I would say simply. I don't have any versions of the Bible, but I, he means translations of the Bible here. So English translations of the Bible or versions of the Bible. So I don't have any on my mind that I think about, wow, I'd really avoid that one. Uh, and believe me when I say that I've been involved in the long drawn out debate over whether there's an uninspired version of the Bible. I mean, first off, remember again, the Bible was not written in English uh, and it wasn't written in, written in one language. It was written in three languages, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Uh, and you need to find a translation that will help you. Bottom line, Amen. Uh, one that you can read and enjoy reading. And I will say this, that the Bible publishers out there are pretty much um, 
held in check by each other. Uh, there's different schools, uh, different groups. Uh, there's different, uh, and they kind of hold each other accountable in many respects. And, 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 the, and the greater Christian movement holds them in, uh, to account as well. There was a, a translation that came out a little while ago, today's new international version, and there was a big stink made about that one because they de-gendered uh, a lot of the pronouns, wow. and a lot of people got all frustrated oh, about that. But again, I looked at it and I saw that it was the, the pronouns were the ones wherever the text is talking about men or women. And it's like, so what? So they're talking about men or women. Sometimes that's a good thing to not say, make it sound like it's only talking to men. Yeah. Um, and where it did matter, where, uh, where gender did matter to God, uh, such as church office and all kinds of things like that, there was clear gender roles uh, defined. But I don't have one that I would say you have to stay away from. I would read several. If you want to do deep Bible study, every time I teach somebody how to do deep Bible study, Chris, I've taught you this yes. too, right? Is, you know, read from several. Yeah. You know, that uh, interesting little story, funny little interesting, uh, funny little story for me, um, I meet with pastors all the time. I have a pastor's, I have a pastor friend named Steve. And uh, whenever pastors get together, we like to, you know, kind of talk about our education and what kind of schooling we got and, and kind of compare and contrast is a little game that pastors play. Uh, and so the guy who likes to brag talks about how many years of Greek he took at seminary and how many years of Hebrew he took and and the guys who really like to brag say I don't even open the English translation I go straight to the Greek and I read it from the page and we're all like oh please give me a break with this guy <laughs> uh, but my friend Steve has a funny way of saying it um, he says you know whenever I go to the scriptures I got five schools that I count that I consult five yeah. five schools of both Greek and Hebrew translation they're experts and I use them every time I of the Bible, and all he's really talking about there is the translations. He says, I just go to the translations because the translations are from schools who have translated from the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic into English. And so he's like, I just use what they've already done. And that's what you're doing. When you when you go to different translations, you're going, uh, you're actually uh, benefiting from the hard scholastic work of very smart men and women who have put a lot of effort into making sure that the Bible is translated correctly. So at the end of the day, if you're not getting anything from the translation you're reading, find another one. And by that, I mean, if you can't understand it, like if you can't understand it, then move on because right. uh, don't be one of those diehards. Don't, don't be one of those people who suffers through the King James because it's the only <laughs> quote unquote uh, inspired version of the Bible. I think those, those debates are obnoxious and um, ridiculous and uh, only reserved for American Christians who have too much time on their hands to debate meaningless things. Uh, in, in Sudan right now, they just need the Bible. Right, any right. Bible, any translation, just tell me what God says. So that's why, by the way, Waters Church partners with the American Bible Society and we uh, fund um, Bibles going into unreached people groups around the world every Every single month, on average, about $2,000 of the money that comes into our church goes to the American Bible yep. Society. Yeah, that's great. So that's cool. Read up. You Just do, get in the Bible. You do have a favorite one, though, don't you? I do. Well, for preaching and teaching, yeah. the ESV, yes. Maybe the English Standard, would like to know. English Standard Version yeah. Bible. I think they know if they come to our church, it always ESV. says ESV. That's what those little letters, by the way, mean. If You might not even know that in a little English parentheses, and we have them on the screen here yeah. for the deep end. Uh, but I prefer the ESV for study. I also prefer the New Living Translation, My favorite. Uh, which I think is, yeah, that's like the layman's version. I love that because if you want to know how to say it in a very easy way, mm. go to that translation. The new uh, international version I used in college, I uh, used throughout, the, I think, the first 10 years of my ministry, uh, uh, professional ministry, and then I switched over to the ESV, um, and I just like it. I don't know. New King James versions, fine. King James, if you like it, go for it. Sometimes, I will say this about the King James, it's so beautiful. Mm. And a poetic. lot... Of, a, poetic. Yeah. And a lot of the times with the new translations, uh, they get sterile they yeah. take the poetry out and so sometimes you go to the new king uh so you go to the king james because it is just gorgeous it's nice yeah. to hear that old english is why people still read shakespeare true not many but yeah. some <laughs> not me but some people i've heard somewhere um and it's just beautiful and it's uh it's, it's fine and go there and then the message translation which you don't call we don't really call that a translation uh in bible school world uh it's a paraphrase and so paraphrase means that he takes the meaning he studies the meaning of the text in the original languages and then he just basically says if i was talking in 21st century americanese this is how i would say it today and so that's not a word for word or or thought for thought translation it's a paraphrase word for word thought for thought 
paraphrase. That's kind of like the spectrum. So word for word, King James Version, NASB Version, ESV Version, Thought for Thought, NIV, NLT. Uh, they take the phrase and then they you know, re- translate it into a more readable phrase, NLT, and then paraphrase uh, the Living Bible, the Message Translation, the Phillips uh, Translation. All those are way over here. So there's a spectrum. Pick one. Yeah. Go for it. Get a Bible. Whatever helps you read the Bible. Right. I'm all for it. Okay, let's get into the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Okay, we are in Revelation chapter 7, and we are talking about three things today. The four winds, not the four tops, the four winds. <laughs> Three people got that one. <laughs> older people. All the older people got that one. <laughs> I, I said it before you, okay, said, you said it. Okay, you said it first. The four winds, the 144,000, and the innumerable multitude. If you read through Revelation chapter 7, you will see these three things are discussed. So let's get right into it. But before we get right into it, let's recap and remember that we are discussing on this uh, interpretation, this study of Revelation, the four views of Revelation. Uh, And if you watched last week, we kind of really unpacked this for Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to unpack it again for Revelation chapter 7. The four views are the preterist view. This is the view that everything that happens in the book of Revelation happened before AD 70 or right after AD 70. So all the suffering, all the torment, all the bloodshed, all that stuff happened when the Roman soldiers surrounded the city of Jerusalem, laid siege, uh, a famine swept into the nation, uh, into the city because they didn't allow food or drink in or out. Uh, people literally starved to death, started eating each other. It was bad, terrible times. Preterist view. Uh, number two, historicist view, which is everything from the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the end of the age. Uh, and then the futurist view, which is the, uh, the classic uh, dispensationalist view. Uh, if you were raised uh, Baptist or Pentecostal, uh, you probably were raised with this view. The last seven years of church history, uh, the tribulation first three and a half years of that seven years is the tribulation. This is the second half of that uh, seven years would be the great tribulation. Uh, and then the spiritual view, which is that the gospel narrative is coming across in symbols and signs that help people understand how to see their world. And the cat was out of the bag last time we were together for me, which is I believe. fall. Yeah. I fall somewhere in the middle of historicist and spiritual. That's just my view. However, I am totally cool with it possibly being futurist too. Hey, if it's futures, then it's futures. The good thing is, is that I think that, to be honest, you can take a view that it's all of them, and they, you know, history repeats. Even in the Bible, history repeats. And we talked about this last time. How many people in God's redemptive narrative from Genesis through Revelation go down to Egypt? Uh, Abraham goes down to Egypt, comes back. Joseph goes down to Egypt, comes back. The people of Israel go down to Egypt, come back. By the way, guess who else goes down to Egypt and comes back? Jesus. Jesus goes down to Egypt and comes back. So there's this constant repetition. So look at the preterist view. There was famine and God's judgment upon a nation that rejected him while he spared his own. Well, that happened already in the past, and it happens throughout history, and it happens probably in the future when Jesus comes again, and it's a spiritual truth. So right there, you can say the whole book of Revelation can be interpreted four ways, but the four ways can very much be um, kind of melded together into one view. And here's what I want us to remember. In Revelation, we are being taught how to see the world. And the reason why we need to be taught how to see the world is very simple, because we don't see the world correctly. Right. We don't. We all grow up with a predisposition toward a certain view of the world. And this is a lot of times why our politics are so divisive. This yeah. is why, right here. Because people who grow up in abject poverty see the world differently than people yeah. who grew up in middle class suburbs true. or in upper middle class uh, enclaves, right? Sure, right? You know, or even in the trust fund baby, uh, uh, you know, community. And, and so you grow up and you have this view of the world and one view says, uh, money just happens. Like if you're rich, you just always, yeah, a lot of people, maybe that's their view. Like just, yeah, money, what's the big deal? It's just money, just money. But if you're poor, money's everything. Right. You know, you can't ever find enough money. You never have enough money. So those two people look at money and they just argue about it because not because both of them are wrong or one's right and one's wrong, but because they see it differently mm. and neither of them see it equally. And so this is the same with almost any political issue. We look at it from different points of view. And here's what the scriptures are constantly telling humankind. (laughs) Here's what it's constantly saying. You don't know what you're talking about. 
Like that's God's word in a nutshell to humanity. Right. Before we can hear the truth, we got to admit that we don't have a hold on the truth. You know, this is what the proverb says over and over again. A fool is thought wise in his own eyes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it talks about that true wisdom is found in admitting your foolishness. Uh, I don't know what philosopher said it, but um, you can't, something to the effect of you can't embrace education until you acknowledge your own ignorance. Like it, education begins with acknowledgement that you need help. And so we come to the scriptures humbly. We come to the scriptures, and I hope you're doing this with Revelation, to say, teach me, God, what to see and how to see what I'm seeing. And that's what the book of Revelation is doing, and I think he's doing this for every generation. This is why I really don't like the overemphasis on the futurist view, because if it's only about the future, then it has really nothing to say about right now except to say, it's coming. Right. And that's what I grew up with, right? I mean, that's what I I grew up with. You know, these are the signs. Oh, this is what Jesus said was going to happen. It's going to happen. It's gonna, and then we just wait. Like, okay, it's going to get worse, but it's going to wait, wait. Okay, so, so what do we do? We just wait. No, we, we don't just wait. We look at our world and we see it the way God wants his people to see it so that we can go through what God wants us to go through and what God might have us go through with faith, and boldness and conviction and a sense that, you know what, it might get worse. It might get terrible yeah. in this country, but we're not going to throw our hands up in the air and flip out and freak out. Right, right. We're going to have faith. We're going to believe that God is in control and sovereign over history. So I found this great quote. I want to put this up on the screen because I love this quote. What is Revelation? This is from James Smith, one of my, uh, one of my favorite authors. I love his stuff. You got to read his books. But here's what he says. Unfortunately, we associate apocalyptic literature, which is what Revelation is, with end times literature, as if its goal were a matter of prediction. But this is a misunderstanding of the biblical genre. The point of apocalyptic literature is not prediction, but unmasking, unveiling the realities around us for what they really are. While the Roman Empire pretends to be a gift to civilization and the zenith of human accomplishments, John's apocalyptic perspective from a heavenly angle shows us the reality. Rome is a monster. I love that quote because the quote is saying every nation, and this is true about our country just as much, every nation that has eclipsed the nations before it, every kingdom that has eclipsed or surpassed the nations before them has always had this sense of we've arrived yeah. and we are the zenith of human accomplishment. We are the climax. America does this right now more than ever before as we tear down uh, statues of Confederate soldiers, and we start to question the legitimacy of Thomas Jefferson's knowledge because he owned slaves. I mean, right. we look back on these guys, we say, see, they were complete idiots, and we need to wipe them off the pages of history because we have arrived, we have arrived, we have arrived. And, and this is where America is right now. But guess what, America, right now? Guess what, America? Someday someone's coming after you who's going to say, what a bunch of idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Why were they so stupid? And so now we are, you know, stupid Americans, you know, we, those stupid Americans, we are now at the zenith of human accomplishment. And this is what Christians will fall into if they're not careful. They will fall into the camps. They will fall into hell. I'm going to argue money from a poverty's perspective. I'm going to argue money from a rich person's perspective. That's our political discourse right now. And both people don't see money the right way. Neither person. This is what the scripture says. The rich person isn't right. The poor person isn't right. Being poor is not a virtue. Being rich is not um, is not proof that you can now talk with truth. Like you're talking from Sinai. That's The scriptures are leveling the playing field and saying you need to see money the way God sees money. You need to see sex the way God sees sex. You need to see the state the way God sees the state. You need to see freedom, human individuality. You need to see your rights the way God sees them, not necessarily the way the political spectrum of America sees it. Yeah, And this is why we got such heated... We have such heated discourse in the pol in the political realm of our country right. because we don't see the world the way God wants us to see the world. And so Rome is a monster. Is America a monster? Well, I'll tell you this. It's not as much of a monster as Rome was, but it definitely is a monster in some respects. Like we can talk about the abortion issue here again. We can talk about that yeah. uh, over and over again because mm -hmm. it is. That's monstrous. It's a monstrous practice. And at the same time, there's a lot of other monstrous practices. I think that income inequality is a monstrous practice. I, I do think that there is this there is this gap between the haves and the have-nots that is escalating and growing yeah. to our own detriment. And this is bad. And we need to rethink that. S some people on the right say, no, that's good. Uh, entrepreneurship, capitalism, free reign markets. I mean... 
Well, maybe, but is there any room at all for curbing that and holding people accountable to their fellow man sure. and the rights that and the privileges they have to live in this country to make that kind of money? Do you have no responsibility whatsoever to the people that you employ, the people that you you know buy your products? And so there's all kinds of arguments on both sides that are that are just. But what the scriptures are constantly telling us to do is. Don't listen to your culture as if your culture has arrived. You've got to look at it through the lens of God. And that's what Revelation is about. Anyway, long diatribe. Let's get back into it. The four winds. So the four winds are described in Revelation chapter 7, 1 to 3. Here's what it says. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel descend, I'm sorry, ascending from the rising of the sun. That's just uh, an important term there. Rising of the sun means east. With the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had not given, I'm sorry, who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the sea, or, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, so four winds are being held back by four angels, and these are destructive winds. Now, winds represent the image of judgment in the Bible, all over the scriptures uh, and even outside of the scriptures. I mean, think about the damage that a hurricane can do. Yeah. Right? Wasn't it a couple of years ago we had this horrible hurricane in Florida? Oh, they're happening every they year. They're always happening. Now, but there was one that was really traumatic. Oh, Harvey in yep. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So you just think about this is a image that represents disaster that's going to come upon you. You think about wind, I mean, air. Air is destroying things. And you think about this, yeah. the sovereign power of God. Why should I stand in fear of God? And I mean a holy, respectful fear, okay? Not run from God, but a holy, respectful fear of God because he has the capacity to take air and destroy things. Yep. <laughs> that is a that is a unfathomable ability. You think about air. I'm just, I'm... I'm <laughs> waving it, through air. It's doing it. nothing to me right now. <laughs> I am unhindered whatsoever by air, but God can take this same air right here and with the snap of his finger, he can level an entire city. He can flood an entire area just like that. And so it's teaching us to see that the world is accountable to God. And yet what's happening? God has his angels holding back the winds. God is in charge fully of the disasters that are to come upon the earth. Yep. And he, nothing on this earth happens outside of his allowance. While the earth morally is under the bondage of sin and the control of the our spiritual enemy, Satan, even Satan is under the authority of God. People don't get this. People pit God and Satan as if they're opposites and, and nemeses. No, God has no equal. There is no one who can compare to God. He is sovereign and above all. Satan absolutely is subservient and under the authority of, of the sovereignty of God. When Satan goes to Job, uh, God to tempt Job and test Job, he's got to get permission right. to destroy Job's life. Yeah. Uh, and so everything that God allows... Uh, we can talk about that. We, I know people have a hard time with the things that God allows, but he allows them. He allows them for his purposes. Uh, and we don't know all the time what those purposes are. Right. But here's what we do get a vision of here in Revelation chapter 7. God is going to hold back the destruction of the earth to spare his children. That's what verse 3 says. So the four views. The historicists see the four winds as the, the false doctrines of the early church, actually. Uh, Arian and Pelagius, uh, two big heresies of the early church back in the third and fourth centuries. Uh, they, um, almost, they almost unhinged the church from Orthodox Christianity, and, and thankfully, there was enough good theologians who held them in check. And so the, historicians, the historicist says that good theology was God- holding back the winds of false doctrine. The preterists, the pre-AD 70 people, see this as the Roman siege of Jerusalem. Uh, there's an interesting point to be made here because you'll see verse 3, it says that they don't harm anything until the servants of God are sealed. And this is a historical fact uh, recorded by Eusebius in the 3rd century that before the AD 70 destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Roman arm army, every professing Christian Jew had already left the city. Wow. Hmm. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually 
historically recorded, no Christians actually suffered in the city of Jerusalem. You say, I don't, that's hard to believe. You have to remember that the, Christ, the Jewish Christians in the first century uh, were hated by their Jewish brothers and sisters. Right. Uh, this is, remember, Paul the Apostle is a Jewish Christian. and what, I mean, he's a Jew who's destroying Jewish Christians' lives, and then he becomes a Christian, right. and then he has to run for his life from the Jews. Right. Like, so his own people turn on him. So there's definitely uh, historical proof uh, historical records, and then the, you have you have the reasonable argument that if you're a Jewish Christian and your whole nation hates you, well, what are you going to do? You're going to leave. You're going to move. You don't have to sit there and take it. And so they they left and they got out of the city, and then the judgment of God came upon them. Uh, the futurist sees the angels literally in control of the elements of the earth during the great tribulation period. So this is the holding back. The tribulation is happening. Three and a half years of bad stuff, but. The great tribulation, the angels are like, it's coming, we're going to hold it back for the rest of God's saints, and, and then that's going to happen. And then the spiritualist, the spiritualist sees these four angels holding back the sealed judgment, which have already happened in Revelation chapter 6, uh, until the saints of God are sealed. So anyway, I just want to emphasize one point here in verse 3, which is, do no harm to the earth or the sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. The word sealed. The word sealed here is hugely important. Because that word refers to um, who we are in God. We are sealed with God. Now, in the ancient world, only people of authority and power had seals. And we're not talking about the seals. We're talking about the things that people would put on their foreheads or on their hands. There's little marks. Today, we call them tattoos. But we don't have our governor do that for us. We have the shady guy down in the... In the in the red light district where Shane goes to shady for guy, him, yep. and, shady. Uh, <laughs> shady guy, yes, and so they would seal. So authorities, kings, people in power would seal. Listen to this: the thing, the people that belong to them, yeah. the people that they promised to protect, mm. because they had the authority to, uh, the people that they wanted to be identified with them, and this is the best part: the people that they wanted to give or delegate their authority or power to. Okay. Four things. Yeah. Protection, belonging, identity, power, and authority. And God's word says in Revelation 7 that before there's destruction upon the earth, God is going to do something great for his people. He's going to give them protection, belonging, identity, and power. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's great. So do no harm until God's people have protection, belonging, identity, power. Christian, please, please, please avoid the woe is me mentality. Mm. Uh, avoid the attitude that says, oh, oh the end times, oh, we're all, we're, all, we're all screwed. No, we're all sealed. <laughs> we're not screwed, we're sealed. You know, I think that, I think that requires an applause. Gonna, all right, yeah, come on. <laughs> but, but seriously, like, we have to remember that God has his hand on us. Yeah. And I don't like these Christian, I don't like this Christian mantra of woe is me. Why woe is you? What, do you not have a father who loves you in heaven? Do you not have a savior who gave his life for you, shed his blood for you, who will work for your good, who is still bringing to completion the work he started in you? Do you not have the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, living inside your body? Do you not have a church, family? Maybe that's your problem. Maybe you don't have a church. Amen. Well, then woe is you. Yeah. Get the church. Have a community. Belong somewhere, for heaven's sake, so that you can have someone to call when life sucks. Because life will suck at times, but if you have a community of Christians who love Jesus, you will have somebody who can help you. And I think that we have to stop, like, and when we talk about our world, and I fall into this too, when we talk about our world, we get so negative. Oh my gosh, here it is, the signs of the times, signs of the times. Like my grandfather and my, my parents, they always say that, oh, signs of the times, here it comes, worse. Ah. Well, maybe, but guess what? Our God reigns. Yeah. We're his right. people. You know, we yeah. are sealed. We are sealed. Not screwed. Sealed. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so what are we sealed with? Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the truth of, word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed. There it is again. Mm. With what? The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praises of, of his glory. So even if it sucks now, you have the Holy Spirit who's going to say, don't worry, it's going to get better. You know what? It might not get better until you die, right. but it's going to get better. Yeah. The moment you die, it gets really, really good. <laughs> that's, that's the great thing for Christians, right? It might stink until you die. The good news is you die, and then you get, you get glory in heaven. I mean, these things are not figments of our imaginations. They are not, they are not Aesop fables. They are not myths. They are truth. 
Yeah. And they are embedded into our hearts the Holy Spirit so that no matter what we go through as Christians, we don't have to flip out. Amen. Yeah. We don't have to like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> enough. We're seeing with the Holy Spirit. And so then, think about this. The promised, Holy Spirit com- the promised Holy Spirit comes into us, seals us, and gives us what we just talked about. Protection, belonging, identity, and power. Wow. Christian, you have protection in the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this too, because it's repeated throughout the, the scriptural narrative from Genesis right through Revelation, that God, the ones who stayed true to God, were protected. In e- uh, but before Egypt, go back to Noah. Yeah. Noah is righteous, and his, he and his family okay, are spared. God protects them as he judges the world. Mm-hmm. This is a picture. The ark, by the way, is a picture of Christ. The, uh, the, um, the Lord comes to Noah and says, you have found favor with God. Uh, and, 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 uh, and so then he tells him to build an ark of safety protection from what? Not from Satan. The water. From the water, which was sent by a wind, which was sent by God. God. So I am giving you a ark of protection to save you from me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we got to remember this, all right? What are we saved from? We're not saved from hell. We are saved from the wrath of God. Yeah. Okay, we are saved from God's just judgment of our sins. That's what we are saved from, Christian. You're not saved from the devil. You're not saved from you, you are saved yes from his influence. Yes, I understand that. But he never truly he never truly had total power over your eternal destiny. Never. God has power over, over your eternal destiny. Jesus said, fear him who has the power to throw your soul into hell. He's not talking about the devil. Right. The devil throws nobody into hell. By the way, the devil is not in charge of hell. Get rid of that image that he's on a, on a throne down there with a pitchfork and he's drinking a beer. That's not the <laughs> devil. He's not in charge of hell. Jesus is in charge of hell. Amen. He has the keys of hell and death. Hell and death. He has the keys. Okay? So we are saved by God from God. That's like some yeah. people, that just blows people away. Oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way. Yes, that's how it is. I mean, this is good theology. It might not be, might not be pop theology, but it's good theology. Yeah. And so we're saved from his wrath by his grace, and we are protected. And by the way, so the Lord says that he that Noah found Noah found favor with God and built an ark of safety. By the way, where was the door to the ark? On the side. In the side, yeah. right? In the side. And if you look at the dimensions of the ark, it looks like the length, height, width, depth of a human body. So, thousands of years later, an angel shows up to a little girl named Mary and says, you have found favor with God. And you will produce, he doesn't say this, but she does produce an ark of safety. Her son, Jesus. And Jesus is on the cross and he is pierced where? Side. On the side. And from his side flows blood and water. He is the ark of safety for the human race. That our, if we are found in Christ, one of Paul's favorite phrases about salvation, you are in Christ. What does that mean? Ooh. I am in the ark of safety, yeah, that's good. and I am saved from the wrath of God. Amen. That's cool, Back. isn't it? Good stuff. It is. Really Protection. Is. Belonging means we have a home in God. Identity. I know who I am because of the Holy Spirit. Power, authority. Um, great question now. You may be wondering, am I sealed? Am I sealed? Because I, that might be a, that's a legitimate question. Sure. Some Christians, somebody's rushing right now saying, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. How, do, how can I know? Good news. I got, some, I got some points for you. They're not my points. They come from a guy from New England who I greatly admire. He's long dead. But his name is Jonathan Edwards. And he was one of the originators of the, of the uh, First Great Awakening, which we talked about, actually led to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. These are even secular, secular historians say this. So he's a pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts, and then he was kicked out of his church, and then he preaches, and um, uh, he, uh, this great awakening just happens. This great revival happens. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Americans giving their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. But he had a concern, and he said, I don't know if these are all true conversions. Mm. And as, in any move of God, there's always a couple of fakes. Sure. This is why in Acts chapter 6, we see Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, no, and uh, that's chapter five, I think. Yeah. So there's always a couple of frauds in the midst of the real conversions. And so John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, wrote down the uh, wrote a book called the uh, Distinguishing Marks of the Spirit. The Distinguishing Marks of the Spirit. These are the five signs that he said, based on his study of the Word of God, that are um, indisputable marks that yes, you have the Holy Spirit. So I think you all want to know what they are. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Know what they are. Okay. Here they are. Let's go. Number sure one. I have them. Number one is esteem for Christ. 
that you know you have the Holy Spirit when you love Jesus, when you say, man, Jesus is not just a man. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a rabbi. He is not just a teacher. He is God. And the Bible says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right. So if you are still in the camp of, I'm not sure if he's God, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and confirms in your heart. He's God. (laughs) He's not just, he's not a sub-God either. He's God. All things were made by him and for him and through him. And to him are all things. So when you have that in your heart, okay, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26, he will bear witness about me. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bear witness about me. And in John chapter 16, verse 14, he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit comes into your life and says, Jesus is the most important person in your life as of right now. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Mm. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives you a hatred of sin and causes you to oppose Satan, who used to be your spiritual father. Yeah. He used to be your spiritual father. Jesus says to the Pharisees, your father is the devil. You do what he wants, you say what he wants, you act just like him. By the way, he, uh, the Pharisees loved money and hated Jesus. All right? People who love money and hate Jesus are following the footsteps of their father. Yeah. <laughs> they're not sealed. <laughs> and they're not sealed. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he opposes Satan. He's, you, you no longer want to listen to that. You, you no longer want to follow his vices. You want to put sin away in your life. You can't be comfortable with it. If you've got it living in your life, you want it out. You want to talk to somebody about it. You want to, you want to work it out. Whatever it takes. You hate sin. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means that you hate sin. Mm. If you can sin and you can say, oh, no big deal. It's fine. Okay, watch out. Because it is a big deal. Sin will destroy you. And so the Holy Spirit comes in there and he says, this isn't right for you. This isn't right for you. This isn't right for you. And he starts to do some cleaning, some house cleaning in your life. That's how you know that you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Number three, an increased interest in the word of God. Uh, audience, congratulations. You came here today, hopefully. <laughs> to, <laughs> they came for cupcakes, actually. To get the word of God. But sometimes I think about this as a pastor, and I think, gosh, is anybody going to show up today? Like, you know what I'm saying? Nobody buys tickets to the church. Nobody. <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah. You know, the patriots do not follow our game plan here. No. They make sure you pay and pay big yep. before you before they open the stadium <laughs> all right in the church we open our doors and nobody has bought a ticket and it's like every week this happens and sometimes i have a panic attack i'm like is anybody going to actually come today and every week somebody comes guess who comes the people whom god has sealed yeah the people whom god has through the holy spirit said you're mine and they come and they don't want to come for the free coffee i know the coffee is good but they're not coming for the coffee no they're coming for the word yeah they they want to know what does god have to say about my life right. what does god have to say about Himself, what does God have to say about what I should do? And if you have the interest, you know, I want to. I want to hear what God has to say. That's a great sign that you have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, by the way, inspired what God has said through the Word of uh, through the Word of God, what we call the Bible. Number four, a, a grasp of or zeal for sound doctrine. Now, this is important because there's frauds everywhere in the church, and so if you ever hear, like, you ever meet a Christian, you're like, what the heck is up with that dude? Might be a fraud. I'm just saying. <laughs> he might be a fraud or you might be a fraud. One of you is a fraud. But I'm just saying that when the Holy Spirit is in you, there's a grasp. Like, so a pastor will say something and you'll go, yep, that's true. And you've never heard it before. How do you know it's true? How do you know when somebody says something that's not true? It's not true because the Holy Spirit's there. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's sitting there saying, this is right. This is right. Follow him. Follow him. Listen, listen. And the Holy Spirit will also say, that's not right. Jesus said, this is why I get a little frustrated with the people who freak out about all the false teachers. Oh, no, 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 the false teachers. Oh, no. Like, okay, yeah, watch out for them. But Jesus also said, my sheep know my voice, and they will never listen to a stranger's voice. I always love that text. I love that text because the sheep are not going to sit there and go, teach us false teachers. They're going to say, something's up with you. I'm out of here. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you get it. You grasp it. And then you love. Sound. Teach me the truth. I don't want, I don't want watered down message. There was, a, there was a movement in the church a couple of years, decades ago. Water, water down the message. Uh, take out things like the blood of Jesus because that offends people. And, and message about hell because that offends people. And message about sin because that offends people. This is a movement in the, in the liberal mainline churches in the, in the last century. Guess what? That whole movement failed miserably. Yep. People want truth. God's people want truth. They want to hear sound doctrine. They want to be warned about sin. They want to hear about the blood of Jesus. They want to hear about what is right, what is righteous, what is good, because they're sealed in the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're just trying to attract people, well, you can do that as a clown. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Carrot Top (laughs) gathers a crowd. That's true. Okay? Clowns gather a crowd. 
Gathering a crowd is no great feat. God has his people, and he needs his shepherds to feed his people, and they will only feed on sound doctrine. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit comes and says to you, he comes up in your heart and he says, this is true. Listen to it. Listen to it. Um, and then lastly, a mark of love. So you love the church. By the way, you love the church first. You know, a lot of Christians say, oh, I don't do Christianity on my own. I don't go to church. No, 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 no. You're not a Christian. I'm sorry. You gotta love the church. Yeah. You gotta love the church, man. This is who you're spending eternity with. If you don't love going to church now, heaven is going to be hell. <laughs> Seriously. Like, who's going to heaven in your opinion? Oh, those Christians. I don't like being around Christians. Okay, then go to hell. Seriously. I mean, honestly, because that's who's going to heaven. That's true. Uh, you know that's what I'm true. saying? Yeah. I run into these people all the time. Oh, I, you know, I do church on my own. Oh, please. Please stop telling me that. You need a church. You need the body of Christ. If you don't go to church, who do you help? Who do you love? Yeah, right. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't love them just because I don't see them. Would that ever work with your wife? Would that ever work with your kids? <laughs> I know I don't ever go home. I live at work and I sleep in the office, but I love them. They know it. No. You go home. You live with them. You do life with them. Give me a break. So you love the church. And you love the church, by the way, and there's no problem saying this. You love the church first. First, I have a serious problem with Christians who say, I kind of like non-believers more than believers. Oh my gosh, are you crazy? Why? You know that if you love non-believers more than non-believers, eventually you'll become a non-believer with them. Yes. Yeah. There's a problem with that. There's yeah. a serious problem. If you love non-believers more than believers, you've got a serious spiritual problem. Ask God to change your heart because you should love the church. And I'm not talking out of my own thoughts here, okay? I'm talking from John, First John, who says, if we say we love God, but we hate our brother, we deny the truth. It's not in us. you got to love the church. Jesus loved the church with all of its faults, warts, all of its scars, all of the mess that it is. Guess what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5? He loved the church and he gave his life for the church. Yeah. You want to follow Jesus? You love the church. <clears throat> Period. End of story. Right? Ooh. Those are the two guys over here. They love the church. That's why I love these two yeah. guys because you guys love the church. Amen. You know, you don't just love the job. You don't just love the crowds. You don't just love the size of our church. You love the people. And that's, it, it's just, it's, it's clear in you. And that's, that's the mark of the Holy Spirit. And then you love others. Of course you love non-believers. I'm not saying you hate people, ever. You know, Christian, there's no room in the Christian's heart for hate except for hatred of sin. Mm. But you hate, you, you love people, period. But I definitely think, first, you love the church. Yep. Uh, and then, I love this because 2 Timothy 2.19, just talking about the seal. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. All right, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So there it is again. There's a desire to move forward in faith and away from sin. The 144,000, I think, you know, we've gone long, and we're going to have to close out a little bit early oh, today. Wow. Um, but Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, let's talk about this, the 144,000. And uh, I, got a, I got an idea, and I think it's going to be cool. Um, verse 4 says this, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Uh, and then it says, you know, 12,000 from the following tribes. Judah, uh, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, 12 tribes. Okay, what are these people? Because <laughs> um, right after this passage, you're going to see that there's an innumerable number in heaven. So the sealed, ju the sealed judgments, six of them, by the way, I know some of you are waiting for the seventh seal. Wait, wait for it. Doesn't happen yet. Six sealed judgments come upon the earth, wiping out a fourth of the earth, all the kind of things, all the, all, the, all the blood, all the carnage, all the war, all the pestilence, right? And then you have 144,000 sealed, and he's like, you're saying, you're saying to me right now, does that mean that there's only 144,000 Christians out there? And they're all descended from these tri different tribes and that God knows who, they're, who they are? Well, um, that's a view. It's not the right view. <laughs> yeah. uh, the 12 tribes, let's just note a couple things. What do we see right on the page of Scripture here? Number one, they're the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're not the original tribes. Mm. There's some names There's some names missing. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, number one is Dan. Dan, the tribe of Dan is missing, mm. and the tribe of Ephraim is missing. Uh, and Dan is missing. A lot, a lot of theologians believe that. I think that it's right. Dan is missing because Dan was the first tribe in the book of Judges to lead Israel into nationwide idolatry. Oh. So these are people who have forsaken idols. These are people who have not followed 
the idolatrous practices of the world. And then it's an equal number of each tribe. And that's significant because it's saying that this is like a military census. This is an ancient tactic for uh, taking a census of a, of a nation's military. And then it says sons, which implies a largely Jewish military. So some people see this as Jewish Christians who are ready for the Lord to do battle during the Great Tribulation. In fact, that is the futurist view. The futurist view says that these are Jews who get saved during the Tribulation right. and go out into all the world and witness uh, for Jesus. That's the futurist view. The historicist view says that it's a symbolic number of the entire church for all time. Now, to, do, to talk about this, I want to just go to the whiteboard. The whiteboard. The whiteboard. <laughs> okay, so Chris, you've got your calculator out? I do. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 10. 10. Times it by 10. Times 10. Times it by 10. Times what do you got so far? I have a, th a thousand. All right, times it by 12. Times 12 is 12,000. 12,000 times another 12. Times 12 is, ooh, look at that, 144. Oh, of course, that means nothing because these are just numbers right now. <laughs> But I had this thought. I said, listen, if this is the number of the church for all time, I thought about the numbers 10 and 12 are so significant in the scriptures. For instance, uh, how many commandments are there? Ten. Ten commandments. Ten commandments that God's people, not the world, even Jews say this, the Ten Commandments are for God's people. God's people, yeah. How many plagues on Egypt? Ten. Ten plagues. I'm going to guess ten. And the plagues... Are the, one, are the things that God uses at his word to deliver God's people from Egypt, which is a sign or a natural sign of slavery. Right. Egypt for us as New Testament Christians is uh, sin. God saves us from slavery to sin, mm. to the righteous freedom of the sons of God. Okay, uh, how many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. There are 12 tribes of Israel, so they represent the Old Testament people of God. How many apostles are there? Twelve, 12 apostles. Apostles. But wait, there's one more number. But there's one more. There's one more. I know. You're, you can't wait, can you, Chris? I can't, you can't I wait. wait. I have to know. Well, guess what? We don't just serve a God who redeems, sets free, and then gives commandments and establishes through his word a people from both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We also have a creator God. Guess how many times God speaks in Genesis chapter 1 to create. Oh, I can guess 10. Guess 10, 10 times. Guess 10, 10 times God says something, creates all that we see, including mankind. Yeah. 10 plagues deliver his people from sin. 10 commandments establish his people as these are the people of my moral code and my righteousness. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. We have a New Testament and Old Testament group of people who have been Created by God, redeemed by God, and established by God. Wow. 144,000. Wow. I never heard it that way. Wow. Uh, well, that's why you come to the deep end that's right there. I'm trying to learn. So that's the <laughs> <laughs> Not just for the cupcakes. That's the, uh, that's the uh, whiteboard moment for today. And um, I want to just uh, finish this off because there's a couple of other views of the 144,000. Yeah. So the preterist view, the preterist view, um, remember that Jesus in Luke chapter 21 tells the disciples that are following him at that time, when you see these signs, flee the city. Right. So in Luke 21, it says this, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, this is AD 70, know that its destruction is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are in the country enter. For these days are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and the wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Okay, that, that passage right there completely fulfilled in AD 70. Mm -hmm. And so the preterist says, this is the Jewish Christians from all those tribes fleeing the city. And their fleeing was because they heard, they listened to Jesus as the Holy Spirit had sealed in them that they would listen to Jesus. And so they literally ran out of the city and then they went to the nations and uh, the multitude following this, the innumerable multitude following this, are the people who get saved because these people lived past eighty seventy to testify to the gospel. All right? Uh, we already talked about the futurist. So the spiritualist, uh, very similar to the historicist, just true and spiritual Israel, uh, for all time. Okay? And so that leads us then to the innumerable multitude. Uh, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude. No one could number from every tribe 
all tribes, uh, from every nation, sorry, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne. So these people are now in heaven. These are people in heaven, clothed in white robes. They got palm branches in their hands. Uh, palm branches is a biblical symbol for victory, victory and, and joy. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. To the angels who are standing around the throne, all, I'm sorry, all the angels who are standing around the throne and around, and, uh, and around the elders and the 24 creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And he said to him, and I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in blood, uh, in the blood of the Lamb. Then verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Just pretty cool there. God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The tenderness of God, friends. That is so beautiful. So, the relationship between the 144,000 and the innumerable multitude. That if you are of the opinion that... The 144,000 is a militant force. Now, not a physical militant force, but a spiritual militant force to bear witness to the gospel. All four views pretty much go hand in hand here. It's just a matter of where do you place it in human history. For the preterists, again, it's AD 70, and they flee the city, and then they spread the gospel, leading all the way here to North Attleboro, Massachusetts, and we're saved and part of the innumerable multitude, right? Yeah. Uh, For the historicists, same deal. This is 144,000 of uh, Jewish Christians who spread from throughout the earth. Um, you know, Paul goes to Rome. Uh, uh, Philip goes to Samaria. Thomas went to India. Uh, these, are, these are historical facts, and they spread around, and they lead to the innumerable multitude, these sealed people. Uh, the futurist, again, all this happens not yet. So the futurist says, this will happen. But again, the same thing will happen. 144,000 Jewish Christians will spread around the world while the uh, Antichrist reigns supreme on the earth. Who, by the way, many people believe will be, uh, these, uh, some futurists believe he will be from the tribe of Dan, oh. which is why Dan is not mentioned here. Idolatry. Idolatry, Idolatry. right. He's, that's his deal. Idolatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they will spread around the world and they will win multitudes of people, an innumerable multitude of people, to Christ during the tribulation. And the spiritualist, the spiritualist says the same thing. So again, what we are seeing here is God has his people sealed, but not just sealed and not just given th- those four things, not just given protection on identity and, and, and authority and all that stuff um, and belonging for themselves, but for the sake of those who are far from God. And that's always been the mission of the church. And so my final thoughts, because we don't have enough time for First Peter. We'll just skip that. My fi- final thoughts are this. Number one, the mission of Jesus comes at a great cost to people who belong to Jesus. Mm. It is, it's not easy to be a witness for Christ. Right. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family members. You're going to lose relationships. You might lose money. In Nigeria, you're losing property right now. You know, uh, in Russia, you're losing rights. In Iran, you have no rights. I mean, the Christians around the world who have gone out there and said, I'm here to tell you about Jesus, they have suffered tragically. Yeah. And they continue to suffer tragically. Therefore, Christian... In 21st century America, with all your rights, with all your privileges, with all the money that you have right now, what has it cost you to help spread the message of Jesus? Are you going to let people around the world do so much while you sit there and do so little? We've got to realize this is our calling. This is our job as God's people. And we should do this with joy, not Mm. guilt. Yeah, Joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it is a joyous thing to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful, right? But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Some Christians like flip out over tithing. Like seriously? Tithing? You're going to stumble over that? <laughs> like what if we take you, transplant you to Mozambique right now? What if we transplant you right there? What if we put you in Yemen where is the most persecuted Christian population on the earth right now? They're losing everything and they're holding on to Jesus to bear witness to that nation that hates Jesus. That he's real, that he's true, that he's love, that he's life. I mean, this is a mission, friends. We got plenty of time in eternity to relax and take it easy. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that, but I'm not ready yet. I'm not yet ready for that. I, I want to get the job done. Yeah. I want to win New England to Christ. I want to win this church, uh, the people that come to this church to Christ. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, number two, the church must be ready then to fight the good fight of faith. It will not be easy. And then number three, the church will suffer here, but ultimately be glorified there. What did it say at the end of Revelation chapter 7? It says that they're in the temple. Remember the temple. The temple has been following us from Genesis chapter 2 right through to Revelation. It's been following because the garden, the garden was a temple of sorts. It was a natural temple mm. where God and Adam and his wife dwelt together. By the way, she doesn't even get called Eve until Genesis chapter 3. So it's Adam, man and wife together, man. And they dwell in the presence of God. And then the temple in uh, Moses' day, and then the temple that uh, Solomon builds, and then the one that Herod rebuilds, and then, or Zechariah and Joshua in uh, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and then Herod rebuilds, and then that temple gets destroyed. So there is no more temple on earth. There's a temple in heaven waiting for God's people where God will bring you home. That's wonderful. It will be tough now, but it will be great then. And this is what Revelation is doing. It is saying, this is how you need to see the world. Do not be hoodwinked by the American dream, by the political left, by the political right. You belong to him. And that should mean something. And that should change everything. And I hope it does for you. Thanks for joining us today. This was The Deep End. I'm so glad that you were here. Join us on facebook.com slash TV or youtube.com slash waterschurch. Check out The Deep End channel or go to thedeepend.tv on your internet browser. Like us. Subscribe, please. We need subscriptions. We need likes. We're desperate for likes, not, not emotionally, <laughs> strategically. There's a lot of things we can do once we get to a certain number of likes on Facebook and on uh, YouTube. So make right. sure you like us and subscribe and click the notification bell to make sure that you always get updates about when we're live. So glad to have you. Uh, Chris, Jane, thanks for being here. And a thanks pleasure. Glad to have you guys here. Studio audience, give yourselves a hand. <laughs> See you next week on The Deep End.